listening to the Film Monsters Podcast with me and Ray. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to a mini-episode of the Film Monsters Podcast. I'm Nate. And I am Ray. Not mini-Ray, just just Ray. <laughs> well, we, you could be. No one can see you. So how do we know you haven't shrunken yourself down to half the size? How do you know that I'm not mini to begin with? You've only seen me in pictures. That's very true. You could be. And you don't know. Did you know that I'm six foot eight? Have I ever told you that fact about myself? Have I ever told you that I'm... Four, seven. Wow, that's going to be funny. So what we'll do whenever we film a Film Monsters podcast in person, which will happen is I will get Ray on my shoulders and we will form one super Film Monsters podcast human. Yes, I'm, I'm in it. <laughs> so we're back today to give you guys a shorter episode than normal, mostly because it's the holiday week. Ray and I's lives got crazy and we didn't really have the time to prep for another directorial episode. So we decided we thought it would be fun. It's coming to the end of November. The Criterion sale was this month and we thought it would be cool to give you guys either some Criterion films that we picked up during the sale or ones we were interesting and interested in picking up to give you guys some recommendations and some and some ideas for things that you should look at in the Criterion collection. And what I noticed, I went back this week, Ray, and was looking at our episode numbers and our Criterion episode was one of our most streamed episodes of the podcast. Oh, interesting. So people clearly like it when Ray and I talk about the the old Criterion. So, uh, yeah, I think we just get into it, Ray. Uh, do you, would you like to start? Is there any films that you picked up in the collection or uh, films that you're interested in picking up before the sale ends on Monday that you uh, want to talk about? The first one I picked up, it's called The Sword of Doom. So the reason I was kind of drawn to that movie is because... Waxwork Records, as per usual, is always putting out beautiful pressings, and they put out the score for this movie called The Sword of Doom. And it, it looked like a cool, like, Kurosawa-style samurai movie, so it caught my attention. It's actually directed by, and I'm going to probably butcher this, uh, Kihachi Okam- Okamoto. So the reason why I was drawn to this movie is, A, the score looked beautiful the way it was it was pressed by Waxwork, like beautiful artwork as per, as per usual. It reminded me of like an old school like Kurosawa movie. Uh, this is also a black and white movie that came out in 1966. And the other reason why I was drawn to it is it was actually produced by Toho Studios, which I mean, if, if you're familiar with me, I am a big Toho nerd. Being able to them see have like a little branch off for like samurai films from Japan. I was I was in it. Um, if I'm being honest, I've only made it about halfway through it because every time I start playing it, something happens. It's again one of those cursed movies, but I really have been enjoying it as the story of this, of the samurai that gets just kind of involved in a situation he shouldn't have been involved, and then he starts getting chased down by assassins, like any good old samurai film, especially from from that era. So it's really cool. I also recommend the the score that Waxwork put out because it's gorgeous. 
I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and what I will say the the Criterion cover for it is gorgeous, but that original that original theatrical release poster for it is wild, super crazy even for the '60s the way that it looks. But I was reading the plot of it, and it sounds really fantastic. This is one, especially if it's streaming on the Criterion channel, this might be one I just jump into and watch because it sounds like something that would be super entertaining. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, especially if you're like a fan of that Kurosawa you know samurai film it's it's great that sounds really good well the first film i'll talk about then uh is there's a filmmaker his name is thomas vinterberg and i watched the film the hunt for the first time this year starring mads mickelson and so i decided that i wanted to watch all of his movies and so i watched his film he released in 1998 called the celebration have you ever heard of this film ray no that, that does sound familiar though yeah so the celebration it's really interesting so you may have heard uh, before of a little known filmmaker named lars von trier so lars von trier and thomas vinterberg started this thing in the 90s called dogma 95 and it was this like set of prints of filmmaking where they essentially wanted to challenge themselves and other filmmakers to try to create these really powerful pieces of media without being able to use like all of the visual spectacles so like you couldn't use artificial lighting the camera had to be handheld uh, there were all these different rules that you had to fit into so like uh, the most popular Dogma 95 film for Lars von Trier is Dancer in the Dark with Bjork Yes. And people talk about the cinematography of that being kind of nauseating, but it's very intentional. And so the celebration... Thomas Vinterberg's film is the first film made in those Dogma 95 principles and it's a story about this uh, this patriarch of this family who has his 60th birthday party his kids all come there he has this one son who's like really feeble and he's to himself and he's very quiet he has a daughter who's really loud and eccentric a son who's like super racist and awful and they get in this room to celebrate uh, the birthday party and one of the sons stands up and gives this speech and reveals this really horrible secret about their father and the something that happened to him between him and his dad and a reason why their other sister committed suicide and the entire film is like these people in this this hotel that their dad owns and the conflict that ensues between people like believing whether or not what this guy says is even true like do we believe this character do we believe the circumstances that have happened and what i really loved about this movie is you think about the era we live in with like me too and cancel culture and like believing victims and i thought it was really cool to see a film in 1998 tackle that subject matter before it was like really in the communal space uh and to see what they were able to pull off with such a minimal budget and like under those dogma 95 principles of like handheld really shaky camera no artificial lighting so they literally had to use whatever lighting was in the hotel by themselves to, so it looks really raw and really like you know boots to the ground indie filmmaking and it is and it's just beautiful and it really broke my heart i cried like 10 times during this movie that's awesome that sounds like i need to look that up too so yeah you should check that one out ray i think you'd really like it All right for sure um for the next one i picked up i i will just go through this one quickly because i've talked about it multiple times um shutter finally teamed up with with criterion and they released one called la llorona which not to be confused with the curse of la llorona from the um the conjuring universe it's not that one it's a different one this is a a guatemalan film it came out I believe in 2020, I believe is when it came out. And it was, it's 
it's straight up like a Guatemalan film with a Guatemalan director named Jairo Bustamante and he uses all Guatemalan mm-hmm. actors to the point where even some there's obviously it's a Spanish film but it's also um there's a lot of usage of Mayan dialect which is like the the Mesoamerican language that they use in that area of Mexico and Guatemala and this is probably the the film that's the closest to the the lore and the original story of La Llorona and um I talked about this movie, this film extensively, but it was I was just gonna mention that it was so cool to finally see the little shutter logo right next to the the Criterion logo in in one Blu-ray case. It was it was really cool um, to be able to see that, and I'm just so excited to to see like a film this this close to my heritage because you know most of the time when when there's films that, that are you know from Latin America, they tend to be like from Mexico or down in South America, but to see a movie that's from Guatemala, which is like literally like I've been to Guatemala so many times when I was growing up in my country of El Salvador. So to be able to see one of these films from, from a country that's so close to my home be put in the Criterion Collection, was just, it was so cool. And it's, it's like an art house horror movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's like scary. It's more of like a mystery thriller with some sociopolitical commentary on the treatment of indigenous people, but it's, it's it's a phenomenal filming. I am just so happy to a see a movie that represents my culture so well, and a movie that's tied to to Shutter, which I have nothing but love for. And one that is literally like in the next two or three movies I want to watch because of how many times you've talked about it. And I, I, <laughs> honestly, like I watched the trailer for it, which you know I don't always like watch trailers for movies because I really like to go in blind. But just like watching the brief trailer, I was like, okay, this looks phenomenal. Like, this looks like something I'm really going to like. And to see the Shutter name on it, like you said, I think it, you know, obviously I'm sure you're going to talk about another film that was uh, released recently from a company that sort of shocked us all for that Criterion picked up. But I, I'm i hopeful for the future of Criterion that we do get more films that kind of step out of the box for what they're normally used to. Because I think they do a good job of getting weirder films sometimes. But I, I do feel when it comes to just like straightforward horror or even something that's more like horror adjacent like you said with like a sociopolitical message or anything like that that we don't always get those films in the collection so i'd like to see them take a little bit more of a risk with that yeah for sure um it was great i can't recommend it enough um yeah just pick it up Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll talk about another film that I think is a really great pickup for the collection, and I actually just watched this for the first time this year, and that is the film Rat Catcher from one of my favorite directors, Lynn Ramsey. Have you ever heard of this movie? No, I have heard of the director, but not of, of the movie. Yeah, so most people know Lynn Ramsey from the films uh, You Were Never Really Here and We Need to Talk About Kevin. I feel like those are her two films that everybody knows. Obviously, Joaquin Phoenix giving a brilliant performance in You Were Never Really Here. Also, the score from uh, Johnny Greenwood to that movie is incredible. Uh, but but I love the way Lynn Ramsey tells stories. I feel like she has this way of making her worlds feel very fantastical while at the same time being really grounded in reality in a way that makes her movies feel very dreamlike. And so Ratcatcher is one of her earliest films. I think it came out in 1999. And it's about this young boy who at the beginning of the film he's out playing in this like ravine with one of his friends. And 
his friend ends up falling into the ravine further and he drowns and dies. And so our lead character doesn't tell anyone in the community about it. And he doesn't say anything about it. And so the film is like him living with that guilt. But at the same time, he lives with his parents in this really like shitty apartment complex. Uh, you can tell that his parents have a really broken dynamic. Their relationship is struggling. He makes friends with this young girl in the community who like is uh, like treated horribly by other boys in the community. They sort of bond over the tenderness that the two of them have together. He becomes friends with this sort of like awkward outcast. And so you get all these different characters introduced at the same time it's during like it's in Scotland in the 90s and I guess in Scotland in the 90s there was this huge like garbage strike where all of like the the waste control workers just stopped working so the streets are like filled with trash bags and it's just like disgusting and it really is an allegory for all the other themes that the film explores but it's a really beautiful intimate character study through the lens of a child that is sort of forced to grow up faster than he really wants to and i love coming of age movies but this one is definitely a lot darker if you've seen any other of lynn ramsey's work you're gonna know kind of what you're getting into really early on but the cinematography in this was absolutely beautiful and the performances were all amazing and i just really love this movie a lot i think that lynn ramsey's a really unique director i'm surprised she's only done four films in her career but yeah this one's definitely worth picking up especially if you're into like coming of age movies so yeah, that's Ratcatcher. I just think it's a really good uh, coming-of-age story. I think that, you know, if you're into coming-of-age films, if that's something that you really like, I think you'll really get into this one. Yeah, that that sounds really good. I need to get more into her films because I really did enjoy um, You Were Never Really Here, so... That movie messed me up. The end of that film, that the end of that film especially, that last scene in the diner, I was like, holy shit, let's talk about going for it. Well, you should... Well, I get pretty close to the book um there are some liberties taken from the book but it's pretty close to the book that's awesome i'll have to check out the book sometime so what's another one you picked up ray um so another one that i'll just go through very briefly because we've said plenty about it on the previous episode but i but we can talk about the packaging and how great all the restoration was but lost highway was a pickup that i did i also bought lost highway they really did a nice job with it i don't think that the packaging is as great as some of the other David Lynch films, but I still like the way that they handled it. I do think it's kind of interesting that for the 4K, they did this like... Because did you get a 4K or just a Blu-ray? Just a Blu-ray, the regular. Oh, okay. So the regular Blu-ray is just like a like a snap-on box, right? Like a, just a regular... Yeah, it is. So the, the 4K, it's more like the Mulholland Drive or the... Blue Velvet, where it's like a digipack that's a slip-in case. and Oh, I love those. I thought the Mulholland Drive one was gorgeous. Yeah, so so Lost Highway one is kind of like the like the Mulholland Drive one. It's the same concept. Ooh, I love that. I, I should have picked up the 4K. I just got the regular Blu-ray. Which, which, you know what? On a random side note, they did the same thing with Night of the Living Dead, except the 4K is just a plastic case versus the Blu-ray. It's a slip-on set for some reason do you think it's just like they're like oh we're gonna be cheap this time since we already have it out yeah this is the one time that because i was just gonna get rid of my blu-ray copy of night of the living dead and then 
when I saw that the packaging wasn't as nice for the 4K, I'm like, well, I'll keep the packaging for this one because I'm weird like that. Yeah, that's funny. I, I totally under, I totally understand. But no, Lost Highway is a movie. I mean, we just did the David Lynch episode, so we don't have to go into great detail. But you know, I love that movie. You know, Ray really enjoyed that movie. It's definitely worth picking up, especially if you're a Lynch completist. Uh, they're getting close. They only need to throw in uh, The Straight Story, Wild at Heart, and Inland Empire to complete their David Lynch collection. And I think at some point they will. Yeah, I think they will. Um, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on that. The other one that I'll just go ahead and skip to it because I know you also have a copy of it that you recently picked up and we can just piggyback off of each other. I also picked out Sound of Metal. Yeah, that was the, that was the other one that I picked up on their little one day long sale. Uh, and I'm so glad this movie got picked up. I feel like, you know, Criterion's been doing a really good job over the past couple of years of picking up really incredible films like you know like worst person in the world and drive my car and a lot of movies like you see okay they're theatrically released and then like two weeks into the theatrical release they're like criterions pick this up to put it out and i'm always like yes i'm so excited because i was talking to ray earlier before the podcast about how i get kind of gripe sometimes when i really want to own something on a physical copy and i'm like what's the point of me picking this up if at some point it's going to be put out on criterion yeah seriously. and that's that'll that always annoys me because it's like then I just blew money to go blow money again and then it just becomes a thing of do, do I have time to sell them back so like I get excited when you know films like this where like Sound of Metal came out and I'm pretty sure it wasn't very far after it's like theatrical run when it got put onto Prime Video that they said that it was going to get a Criterion release yeah well it helped that this was like uh there's no I don't think there's an actual physical release other than the Criterion version which is great. There shouldn't be another physical release of it because I feel like once Criterion gets a hold of a, of a movie, like, no, like I know that there's like a lot of horror films too that, uh, like even Night of the Living Dead. I know there's a bunch of places that have put out Night of the Living Dead restorations, and it's like, why even try to compete with Criterion? What's the point? Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, there's no, there's no way. Um, but no, Sound of Metal is a movie I really love. I think it's probably a movie I imagine that touched Ray and I very similarly because of like the association with music and like I could not put myself into a scenario to think about what my life would be like if music wasn't in it. No, I, I totally agree. That was a movie that hit that hit home for sure for me. And we've talked about it on a previous episode as well, but um, you know, the fact that Criterion picked it up, but what, hey, you know, it's a, it's basic packaging, like any Criterion one, but the artwork for it, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. And I, I also love that movies like this, I feel like this really sparked a thing now where I feel like over the past couple of years, we've gotten a few films that have sort of covered dealing with people in the deaf community and like what living their lives are like on a day-to-day -day basis. And this was one that I feel like started a slew of films that are including characters that are either deaf or only use sign language to communicate, which I think is really cool because it's not really a group that gets talked about enough. And I thought it was cool to see a movie totally centralized on that. And then to kind of show like, you know, getting that surgery and him thinking that it's like a cure-all where it's like a lot of the people in the community realize, sure, it might help things, but it's never going to make things normal. Like, I, I thought that that was such a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch and, like, see that struggle portrayed in a very realistic way. Well, and also, like, you think that, you, you would think that, like, that would bring him his happiness back. But you see even, you know, his own community, his own deaf community almost disappointed that he's going to get the surgery. Exactly. It's like they're all bummed out. Uh, uh, 
that he chooses that route because they think that he's doing such a great job and that he's really moving forward. And, and yeah, that's a movie that every time I think about and I go back to it, it just really hits me hard. Me too. And you know, we can we can talk all day about it, but that's another one I picked up that I'm really excited to finally own in, on a physical copy. Well, another movie I want to talk about, which is a film that is one of those that everybody that's familiar with Criterion or like, you know, classic works of cinema will look at you and say, you need to watch this, you need to watch this movie. So I finally watched it. And I think it is totally worth picking up. There's like a thousand ways you can get it through Criterion. They just did a 4K release of it, but they also have a box set of this director's films that you can get all of his works. And that is In the Mood for Love from director Wong Kar Wai. Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, it is probably one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And also it is the reason, the main reason why I watched it. We talked about it in film school a lot, but uh, there's several scenes in The Daniels, Everything Everywhere All at Once, that are heavily based on In the Mood for Love. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, it's uh, the scenes where they're dressed up in their fancy wear out in the, the alleyway. Uh, and having those really extended conversations with one another. Uh, so oh the, yeah, I'm look. I'm I'm kind of going through the, some of the screenshots, and yeah, that's very reminiscent. Arguably, some of the most beautiful cinematography I've ever seen in a movie. Um, but essentially, I'll just give you a brief uh, plot description. It's about the this man and this woman who move into this apartment complex with their spouses, and their spouses are both constantly working. They're always out of the house. They're trying to like live their own lives. Well, they start running into each other and spending more time together, and they start to get really close with one another, and they both end up finding out that their spouses are cheating on them with each other and they they start talking about the wife starts talking about do we uh confront them about this what are we like you know should we try to approach them and the two of them start to form a connection together and start to get closer and closer and it is probably one of the most heartbreaking movies I've ever seen but also one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen and the performances are so amazing I, I talked about this I released a review on my YouTube recently but so when, whenever you watch a film and they're trying to show connection between characters I feel like in order to like really you know convey it there's either like a sex scene or like a really passionate kissing scene this is a film that has so much sexual tension in it, and there's not even a kiss in the movie. All with, like, the way they look at each other, the way that they, like, touch each other's hands or, like, lay a head on a shoulder. And there's so much incredible chemistry built between these two characters that it's just, like, you feel like you're there. You feel like you're a part of what's going on. And I thought you'd think this is really interesting, Ray. And I thought, like, I was watching this movie and there's a lot of traditional music in it that really kind of accompanies the mood. This movie set, it was filmed in the year 2000, but it's set in the year, like, 1962. And most of the score is Nat King Cole songs in Spanish. What? Really? Yeah, yes, it's like 90% of the score is Nat King Cole music in Spanish, and it fits so incredibly well. Like, it really just kind of makes that that mood and tone. And there's, like, everybody talks about the color palettes in this. The colors red and green will be forever cemented in your mind after you watch this movie. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful. It, it's really hard to explain because it's one of those movies that you just need to watch. But this, it's truly, like, I, I watch 
watched this movie and I like immediately went on and updated my letterbox top four and put it in my top four. That's how much I loved it. Like I, it's just one of the best movies I've seen in a really long time. Interesting. It looks like it's streaming on like HBO Max. So I'll have to just check it out. Yeah, it's one. I watched it on the Criterion channel and it was really amazing. But that's definitely whether you pick up the 4K restoration of Just in the Mood for Love or if you decide you want to jump in and pick up the entire Wong Kar Wai box set, uh, which has a ton of movies in it, you're not going to go wrong either way. Well, very cool then. It looks like I'll have to go check that out. Absolutely. So, do you have another one you'd like to mention, sir? Well, you know I do. You you know I do. I I know you do as well. <laughs> I've, I, I've saved... And I can't even begin to tell you how exciting it was for me to pick this up. A, from the Criterion Collection. B, with packaging and all the bonus stuff done right. This came out literally last week um, as of this recording. It's my all-time favorite animated movie, and that is WALL-E. Honestly, just like... Obviously, we could talk about this movie for an eternity because I think both of our our loves for it knows no bounds. Uh, but I think that this is a really exciting step for Criterion because I think that it kind of takes them out of like, you know, everybody. I feel like a lot of people when they think about Criterion, there's this level of pretentiousness that's attached to it where people will say like, oh, those are just art house films for people who want to watch weird surrealist cinema and that's not what Criterion is. Criterion is about finding the best of the best movies that exist and giving them the treatment they deserve. And I don't think anyone can deny that Wally is one of the best animated films ever made. The animation is so unique. It, it's my the favorite. animation is so unique. The the uh, the character design and like the 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 sounds and the way that the that Wally and Eve communicate. I love it. I think it's so great. It, it's it's a cute kids movie, but it has so much more that it's trying to say. I'm glad that they finally have acknowledged that. Well, and I feel like Wally was so ahead of its time with its environmental message, with kind of a a um, you know warning to how we you know to being sedentary. Like I feel like it has a big overarching message about health, about um, the environment. Mm-hmm. Things that, like, I don't feel like we're being talked about enough in 2008 when that movie originally came out. And now that, you know, we're in 2022 and a lot of people are more environmentally conscious and, you know, we, we've embraced um, wanting to be healthier as a society. I, it It's nice to see those concepts come back because I remember when this movie came out, a lot of people were like, oh, this is just like one of those, you know global warming movies blah, blah blah and i'm just like yeah it's, it's a very real thing and to see it, it to me that movie was just ahead of its time with its message but also like uh, we all know that pixar is really good at at evoking really good messages and very heartfelt stories but i felt like this one for me at least personally was one of the first movies from pixar and disney that it wasn't about the princess and the prince it was it was something deeper than that well i feel like they had a really good stint for a while between like this and up and ratatouille of using using kids movies to convey messages that are so much more powerful than are that's something that's just surface level i mean because like you like you said with wally like the environmental message and then like you look at a film like up that is essentially about growing older and moving on after 
after a tragic loss and like trying to cope with like dealing with your life when you lose the most important person in the world to you or Ratatouille like feeling like an outcast and trying to embrace what you want and get away from like your family's interpretation of what needs what your life needs to be and I think that's a really good stint of Pixar saying oh we don't have to do the same thing that we've always done we can make these movies about much larger messages that sure they're simple enough that a kid can understand but adults are going to pull a lot out of those as well and it was really cool too because going back to what you were talking about how like it took away it kind of brought down the pretentiousness when I picked it up because I picked it up the day of I went to pick it up and the lady that was ringing me up at the front desk she was like you have no idea how many people have stopped by to pick this up I literally picked up the last copy they had and then they were like we've had so many people come in to pick asking for this or picking it up even my brother who isn't big in the criterion collection who didn't really know much about it until our episode he picked up a copy himself like and and my brother is not that super into art house movies he's definitely more of the mainstream crowd and he picked up a copy himself too you know so it shines a little light and hopefully it becomes a gateway thing for, for deeper things. Um, but I, like I said, I can talk all day about this movie because this is my all time favorite animated movie. Um, so I'm just excited. And it's, I'm just excited that it wasn't just like a, a plastic. I don't know if you picked it up yet, but it's not like your standard plastic case. It's like a thick box with like a booklet and artwork and it has to it has a disc just for supplements they really went all out and you can tell that they really put a lot of care into this one um it was it's a director approved copy which that was exciting too um which that was kind of an interesting thing uh, when my brother got his copy he was like because it comes with a sticker this is director approved and my brother goes oh cool this is approved by the director and i picked up so many criterion copies that that doesn't even register as something quote-unquote special but my brother thought that was super cool which kind of reminded me of like to step off my high horse and be like dude these are there's a lot of love that goes into these films um and if it says director approved it's because an extra amount of work went into it it's 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 my all-time favorite um animated movie for sure it is uh it's my number three in pixar but but the other two films i mentioned edge it out just a hair but that's just because they're they're personal to me. But they are those. It's a masterpiece. I can't deny that. Uh, but I have one more Criterion film I'll mention really quickly, if you don't mind. And I brought this up at the end of a previous episode. Uh, but this is a f- Japanese film from the year 1997, and it's from the director Kiyoshi Kurosawa, and that is the film Cure. Oh yeah, you did you did mention briefly that about that one. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into great detail about it because I talked about it before, but essentially you have this uh, this series of murders that is occurring in Japan where people are literally just going nuts and murdering either their spouse or whoever they're in the room with, and then as soon as they're done moving, uh, murdering them, they completely forget why they killed them or what's the reason why, and the, the uh, there's this man who has dementia who you find out is coming into contact with every single one of these people before they commit that crime. And so the entire movie is this director trying to find out how, like what power does this guy have over these people that causes them to snap and lose their mind. And it's very similar to like a David Fincher's Zodiac or like one of those really tense, tight crime thrillers that has really great characters. And some of the cinematography in this and the sound design is so etched 
into my brain. Like it's one of those movies that just feels hypnotic. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Ray, but have you ever watched a movie that you feel almost like hypnotized while you're watching it? Like you're, you're just immersed into that world to where it feels like it's transfixed you. That's, that's what that movie is a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean, but it's absolutely beautiful. I know I mentioned it uh, a couple episodes ago, but, um, I, I think it's definitely worth picking up. So I think that was some good movies, Ray, uh, for a mini-sode. I think that's a lot for people to look at, into and to discover whether or not they want to pick those up. And uh, obviously, I think by the time this episode airs, the it'll be like the last one of the last days of the sale, pretty close to the end of it. Um, so you can either pick them up next time or you can pay full price for them. But these are all films that are worth checking out regardless. So I'll, I want to end, end this episode or mini-sode with one final question. Absolutely, go for it. What is a recent Criterion announcement that you're excited for? A recent, well, why, I don't know what's been recently announced, but why don't you tell me first, and then I'll go look and I'll tell you. So, in January, they already announced that this is coming in January. Um, It's called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, I've heard of that movie before. It's a film by Terry Gillian, who did, um, he's done Brazil, 12 Monkeys, um, he's done a lot of stuff, and it's a really wacky movie, it's about this guy named Baron Munchausen, he, it's kind of very reminiscent of, like, Don, Qu- um, Don Quixote, where, like, he's kind of this old senile man that thinks he's this, like, great, uh, Baron, and he talks his tales and he just kind of talks about these adventures that he had that were these really wacky like fantastical um tales kind of like in that book and i don't know it's it's a really fun movie it's kind of wacky uh but i really enjoy it um i remember watching it a lot as a kid and i had completely forgotten about that film until i saw the announcement from criterion and immediately i got like all these memories from the film came running rushing back and i'm really excited to pick it up no i know terry gilliam is like a madman and i know like i've i feel like i've heard the title of that film multiple times i feel like whenever it comes to terry gilliam the movie that i hear about the most is brazil like whenever i hear his filmography talked about i feel like brazil is the one that everyone's like you need to see this movie you need to watch this movie and i'm like oh yeah that's cool but i've never gotten around to seeing it so maybe this is an excuse for me to uh to go to go check that out the funny thing about brazil is i own it and i still have yet to see it oh seriously yeah i own it i picked it up on a criterion sale because of the same thing and i just I bought it and I put it with my movies and I just never went back to it. So I need, I need to check it out. But Terry Gilliam also did, um, he was in the Monty Python movies. Um, he did fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Um, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, the man who killed Don Quixote. Like he has a pretty interesting, um, just a really interesting like filmography that I would actually, kind of want to dive into it a little bit more because I've seen a handful of his movies and they are wacky for sure, but I've enjoyed all of them that I've seen so far. That sounds really great. Um, so I, what I'm going to do because I was trying to go back through their, their page and like see what was announced. I did. I didn't see a whole lot, but I will just mention one cause I don't know if this is out or not yet, but it is one I want to pick up and that's the Jane Campion power of the dog. Uh, I know that that was announced. So I'm not sure if it's gotten released yet. Uh, but it was a movie I feel like 
you know, it was released directly to Netflix. And I feel like not a lot of people talked about it when it first came out, but it is an incredible performance driven movie. Benedict Cumberbatch is fantastic in it. And it has some really interesting themes that it explores. It also has Kirsten Dunst, Dunst in it and Jesse Plemons are both, which they're married in real life. So it was really interesting to see them play this like broken married couple in this movie. Uh, but, but it's, it's a really fascinating film. And if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, it wasn't my favorite movie the year that it came out, but it was really spectacularly well-made and I'm excited. Anytime I watch movies like that, I feel like Criterion does such a great job that those are movies that I want to revisit in that format. So that's one I'm looking forward to picking up as well. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't as big of a fan of that move of that movie as your but but it is it, it it's it's great for a reason it's just not one that i see myself going back to again yeah i can see it for sure i know that it's definitely like it has a weird tone uh that's it has for a sure, weird tone but, but but you know how i am about the animal stuff and that one they really did do those things to those animals so it kind of makes my stomach squeamish to see that definitely rough um but that's our criterion episode uh you guys should check out some of those films and when ray and i return for our next full-length episode we will be discussing another one of my favorite directors and that is mr yorgos lanthimos i am very excited to uh to engage in conversation with ray about mr lanthimos i i have loved his films since he started as a filmmaker and i'm really excited to this about this next film he's putting out that's like a spin on Frankenstein uh, with Emma Stone as the lead. I think it's going to be really fascinating. I'm excited to to see, because I have yet to see any Yorgos movies. So this ought to be interesting. I'm really excited to see your reactions to those. So as always, if you want to check us out uh, on Instagram, you can follow us at the Film Monsters Podcast, or you can follow Ray at Analog C or myself at My Exit Unfair. And as always, we appreciate you for listening and have a great rest of your day. Take care, everybody.